Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more. Welcome to Peppershock Media's Marketing Expedition Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in marketing and advertising. Now, here's your host, Ray Allen. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen, the president and CEO of Peppershock Media and founder of the Marketing Expedition community. And today's guest is Brad Frazier, and he is a copyright, trademark, social media, internet attorney, really, specialist, right, uh, and cybersecurity lawyer at the Boise law firm Holly Troxel. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ray. In these difficult and challenging times with the virus, it's nice to be able to talk to you over the phone and create this podcast for your listeners. So hope everybody that's listening today is hunkered down and safe. And, and then in the future, when they're listening to this as a recording two years from now, they'll think back on the virus and think, what a horrible time, but we made it through it, you know? So that's glad right. to be with you today. That's right. And Brad, let's learn a little bit more about yourself. Why, why did you become a specialist in the area that you are? What, why do you do what you do and what is it that you do? Thanks, Ray. I am, as you said, a partner at the Boise law firm, Holly Troxel, where I practice principally intellectual property law, internet law, and information technology law. That includes privacy and cybersecurity, all things internet, all things intellectual property, which means copyrights, trademarks, those types of things. And it all began, Ray, because of my experience as a young boy here in Boise, Idaho. My father owned several radio stations. And radio stations, as you know, play music. Back in the day, they played vinyl records. The DJs actually spun vinyl records back in the day, and I remember it vividly. And as a function of that, my father had to pay licensing fees to a company called ASCAP. And every year, an ASCAP auditor would come out to his radio stations. And I remember the auditors arriving. They were very nice men and women. And I remember, for some reason, that stuck with me, the fact that my father was audited and had to pay money every year to a company called ASCAP to play songs by he they were country western stations mostly so Johnny Cash Dolly Parton Johnny Paycheck that whole crew the classic country songs and for some reason I thought that was fascinating so as an eight-year-old kid in Boise Idaho the notion of copyright law and the ability to make money off of songs and movies just I don't know it, it was fascinating to me so that concept stuck with me and then when I came back to Boise in 1989 to be a lawyer after my education, uh, questions began to arise in my practice area about copyright law. So, you know, it was sort of like a fulfillment of this 30-year, 25-year earlier prophecy of ASCAP doing audits on my dad's radio stations, and I began (laughs) to learn about copyright law. And so the genesis of it was planted, the seed of it was planted a long time ago with those ASCAP audits. And so it began with, it began with, I'm sorry, right? Oh, oh, and ASCAP, by the way, stands for American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, in case anyone doesn't know what ASCAP is. I know because well, I was in the industry too, but yeah. That's yeah. right. They are, <laughs> they are, they're called the Performing Rights Society, and what they do, since Taylor Swift 
can't have somebody sitting in every bar in America listening when people play unauthorized cover versions of her songs. Maybe not Taylor Swift is a great example, but you know what I mean. And so, 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 so ASCAP and others have agents that go and listen for unauthorized performances of songs and they collect royalties and a radio station performs songs under the copyright law. And so as a performing rights society, ASCAP collects those royalties on behalf of Taylor Swift and Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani, and they send them a check. So in any event, yeah, that's how it all began. And it started with copyright law and then it branched out from there to include all the other practice areas. And Napster, I remember when the 90s Napster came out, that was a big deal about, well, how do we, you know, how can you get music and listen to it without paying for it? <laughs> do you remember that big uh, ordeal? I sure do. I was right there on the front lines. And that's kind of when I began to practice Internet law, actually, it was about the time of Napster, because copyright law has a, a, an unavoidable and natural intersection with the Internet of course, right. because right. everything that appears on the internet is subject to copyright law in one way or another, it really is. And so when Napster became available and people could share entire albums or hundreds of gigabytes <laughs> of songs for free, I vividly remember the music industries reacting to that and mm -hmm. how instead of embracing it, imagine what would have happened if the traditional music industry had embraced Napster. Oh well, we gosh. would have had what? We, we would have had iTunes 15 years before Apple did it if they had simply embraced the Napster model and make and, and monetize music using Napster instead of trying to fight Napster in court, right? So it was it was very interesting, but it it did give rise to the iTunes and Spotify and Pandora models, and so yay, go Napster! Yeah. You and, know? and Netflix and all of the ones that you can download and stream any kind of performing material, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's we all we all owe a nod to. Um, Sean, I don't remember the kid's name that started Napster. Sean something, but somebody who's listening will go, oh, yeah, it was Sean something <laughs> back in yeah. 94 or whatever it was, 97, 98. So anyway, that was, that's how it began. And then Sean I Parker. added the other. Or, or Fanning. Oh. Fanning? I don't know. Sean Fanning, John that's Fanning? it. Very John good. Fanning. There you Sean, go. <laughs> yeah, Sean Fanning, Ray. Good job. That's the guy that started Napster. So, uh, held in infamy by the record industry, but he, we really owe him a debt of gratitude, I think. And then, yeah. and then, because I started as a, a copyright lawyer, I was in a law firm in Boise called Elam and Burke. I was a litigator, a trial lawyer, doing copyright law. But then I had a chance to go in house at one of the Micron companies, and that's where I began to add additional practice areas: internet law, information technology law privacy, cybersecurity, because I worked in a technology company. So, and that gets us up to about 2000, 2001, 2002, and then the, the next 20 years are essentially the same. Right, right. And you've really developed quite the name for yourself from a marketing perspective. People know to go to you and recommend to you. What are, what are some cases that you can talk about that were interesting or that you uncovered something cool or that it would be useful for people to know about that they, they need to learn and they need to know about? Well, thanks, Ray. You know, since we are on a marketing expedition together, let me try to focus my comments on things that would help people as they're trying to market. As you know, Ray, I'm big on brand. You know, brand is like my middle name, Brad Brand Fraser. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm big about building brand. And, you know, back in the old days, brand was really just about your trademarks. It was just a trademark or not. But now brand is part and parcel to your whole marketing effort. So I really encourage clients to think of brand as this holistic thing. It includes a trademark. It includes domain names. It includes a social media footprint. 
It includes your entire copyright portfolio, everything you create and place on YouTube or on TikTok or on Instagram. All of these things work together to develop brand. And so a lot of times, Ray, I'll have clients call me, and even though they, they don't really posture it as a brand question, it really is, because they'll say something like, well, somebody's selling my stuff on Etsy, or somebody is, is counterfeiting my stuff on Amazon, or somebody has a domain name that incorporates my trademark, or somebody has done search engine optimization and purchased Google ads that compromise my ability to do SEO. At the end of the day, Ray, it's all brand. Right. And so I encourage clients from the moment they first conceptualize the idea for a new product or service to think initially about brand. That comes first. In, in 2020, that, that comes first. In the old days, I used, people used to say, well, I got to go raise money. I got to get venture capital together. And I say, why? I think marketing and brand today in 2020 Ray, go hand in hand. And the first thing I encourage clients to do in all my cases, to answer your question, derive from some aspect of brand and either because a client has protected it or they've not. And mm -hmm. everything really revolves around those two questions, brand and have you protected it? Yeah. And how did you protect it? And you know, what steps did you take to do that? Right. I mean, what are if somebody does come to you and say, how do I protect my brand? What do you tell them? What do you do? How do you work with them? Yeah, absolutely. And so the first thing I tell clients to do is let's assume that your listeners who are wanting to exploit a new product or a service have an idea for a new thing. First thing I tell them is to go out and form a limited liability company. They should go to the Idaho Secretary of State website or whatever state they happen to live in and form an LLC, limited liability company. In Idaho, it costs $100, so it's nothing to form a new LLC. And, and then you can even I do encourage it right them, online. You can just do it online. You don't have to even go anywhere. <laughs> right. And so form an LLC. And the reason that's so important is because you want that, that entity to hold this new enterprise, whatever it is. So let's assume one of your listeners, right, has an idea for a new uh, dog collar. I don't know. First thing I'd say is, great, go form an LLC. And we don't care what you call it. Just go form an LLC. Spend 100 bucks and form an LLC. Then run out to irs.gov and get an EIN, an employer identification number. And then run down to a local bank or online, Ally Bank, I don't know, and get some free checking. Get those three foundational steps out of the way. Once you've done those three things, Ray, form an LLC, get an EIN, get a checking account, off you go. Your LLC then begins to go out and build brand around the concept of this new dog leash. First thing I would do is I would go out and I'd start securing domain names that support my brand. I'd secure social media and internet real estate that support my brand. I'd get a YouTube channel. I'd get Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Etsy, Pinterest, TikTok. I'd get them all to support my brand. Now that assumes you have a, a name for your product. And then, wait, then wait, Brad, part and parcel. Out. Time out. Are you on TikTok? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just checking. <laughs> I'll have to look you up. Okay. Carry on. <laughs> just had to, just had well, to check out. Ray, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, no, I don't post to TikTok. I just, I just, <laughs> I know what TikTok is because I have to, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I yeah, have yeah. to, it's a social media platform, right? Yeah. So going then, on a journey, then right? I would, <laughs> going on a marketing journey. So everybody's building brand. And so, you know, you pe people always get spun around the axle about cost. Well, let's review how much money have we spent, Ray? We spent a hundred dollars to form an LLC, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. We got mm -hmm. 20 domain names. That's a hundred bucks. So now we're into it. 200 bucks. All the social media stuff's free. Right. So you can build, you can build brand in 2024, you know, a couple of hundred dollars. 
And so then I don't understand the, the website and building that and all those things. Well, go get a go get a free one on Wix. Go build a free one on Wix, <laughs> right? I mean, so it, it, it astounds me that people get spun around the axle about they, the, and I know you're a marketing company, so everybody <laughs> call Ray and ha hire her to help you. But I mean, it's really not that expensive if you have, if you don't have the money and you need to do it yourself. So, I mean, there's the so answer to your question. To start, people, too. Yeah. It's a good place to start sure. and then grow, you know, into it for sure. Right. So that's what I typically tell people in terms of their marketing adventure is start by building brand, start with those foundational legal efforts and then start building brand. And then you're off, you go to the races. You know, it's all about brand and building brand and building an internet presence in 2020. That's my experience, at least. And then once we create an image for your logo and for all of your, you know, the headers for your social media and the website and all those things, there's some steps you can take to protect the name, right? And the image that you've created. Do you help with right. that too? We do. So let's assume you've done all the good foundational work and you've done the LLC and you've got domains and you've got social media. At, that, at some point, you may want to involve uh, some type of legal service to help you protect what you've created. And the, the methods we recommend would be, first of all, to look at registering your trademark and then registering your copyrights. Those are two easy, inexpensive foundational things that any business should do at the appropriate point to protect what you've created. So if Ray, if Ray creates for you a logo and a tagline and a trademark, those things are protected using a trademark registration. If Ray creates for you a website and a YouTube channel and TikTok content, those things are protected using copyright law. And so we encourage clients to, once they have done these foundational things to protect them using trademark law and copyright law, to give them remedies to, for what, for what reason, to protect their brand against encroachment and misappropriation and dilution. That's the whole reason. Right? Why spend all the time and effort building brand if you can't protect it? And, and the two principal tools that we use, Ray, in the legal realm are trademark registrations and copyright registrations. That will protect much of what you and your clients build together on your marketing journey. Mm -hmm. And um, for somebody who's thinking about what kind of costs are associated with that, can you give a range of what it takes to, to register and you know, protect those areas? You bet. Again, not expensive. If you want to register a copyright, let's assume that you have, Ray has created for you, I don't know, do you create videos, YouTube videos, Ray, is that part of what you guys do? Can, so let's yeah. assume that one of your listeners has, has hired Ray to create a three-minute marketing video on YouTube. And, and Brad has said as a lawyer, you should register the copyright in that video. Okay, cost 65 bucks. Go out to the United States Copyright Office website at copyright.gov, create an account and register your copyright in the video for $65. Not hard, not expensive. If you want to, and then once Ray has created for you a trademark, so let's go back to my dog leash example. And, and, and Ray comes up with a great trademark for you, uh, uh, Waggy Boy. Okay, Waggy Boy, that's the new trademark for the dog leash, Waggy Boy. Okay, so you want to now, so you've got Waggy Boy domains, you've got 20 domains, you've got facebook.com slash Waggy Boy, you've got all the social media, you've got it all nailed down. Now you want to register Waggy Boy as a trademark for dog leashes with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. To do it yourself, the filing fee is $275. So, you know, we're into it now, what, $350 for the filing fees, USPTO, $275, trademark or copyright office, $65. This assumes you can do it yourself, and you, if you're smart, you can. I mean, if you need a lawyer's help, call me or call one of my colleagues, ask for a free initial consultation, and we'll help you figure it out. But it's just not hard or expensive, right? Mm -hmm. It really isn't. Mm -hmm. 
where it becomes hard and expenses if, if, if somebody is violation or you're in violation like you're talking about. And have you had to write cease and desist letters? Has that been effective, do you think? It's, it's very effective. But what's even more effective, Ray, is to, is to do all the things we've discussed, form an LLC, obtain domain names, get social media, register a trademark, register your copyrights. If you do all those foundational things, and then let's assume hypothetically somebody is selling counterfeit merchandise of yours, waggy boy, fake waggy boy leashes on Etsy. Well, with a registered trademark, you don't even have to use a lawyer. You can go directly to the Etsy online reporting portal and report the infringing site citing your registered trademark, and Etsy will shut the store down. Same thing with Amazon. Same thing with um, Facebook. If you have a registered copyright and they're using photos that they stole off of your website, for example, on Etsy or Facebook or Amazon, again, those portals will help you and shut them down. So if you've done these foundational things, you get registered trademarks and registered copyrights, you can go yourself to the portals and lodge these complaints and get the, the, the sites shut down. Now, to answer your question, sure. If you've done all this DIY, do-it-yourself stuff, and you still have a problem, you, you bet. We can write a cease and desist letter. But in my experience, going directly to the platform, Amazon, Facebook, Etsy, LinkedIn, Pinterest, whatever, and complaining through those portals using a registered trademark and a registered copyright will give you the relief you seek 80 to 90% of the time. Why? To prevent dilution of your brand. That's the whole point. Right, right. Let's talk a little bit more about kind of the privacy and cybersecurity issues that are rising up. What have you seen lately? What are some things that people need to be aware of that maybe they aren't even thinking about? You know, Ray, the main thing I tell clients is that if you have a web presence, like a website, let's assume you have a website. Most websites have a privacy policy. And as you know, the app store won't even let you put an app up until you have a privacy policy now. So, so it's hard to avoid a privacy policy, whether you just use a Wix created site or Ray creates a site for you, or um, you, know, you gin up something to put it up in the app store. All you have is an app. You gotta have a privacy policy. The moment you put a privacy policy out into cyberspace, you're creating a contract with whoever might download your app or visit your site. That's just the law, you have a contract. Even if they don't click on anything, even if they don't sign anything, if, they just ex ex if they're exposed to it, you have a contract. So Ray, let's assume that you have a website out there and all you, you do nothing more than collect IP addresses. You, you, let's assume it puts, puts a cookie on their browser and uh, you collect an IP address. That's all you do, okay? Well, that's personally identifiable information, PII. And if your website says, if your privacy policy says, we will protect your personal information because you found a template somewhere in a book or online, some, some website privacy policy template, you know, <laughs> and it says, oh, we will protect your personal information. Well, guess what? You've just created a contract. Mm -hmm. So if, if that data is compromised, if you store it all upstream at Amazon Web Services or Rackspace or up at Google or in the cloud somewhere, IBM Cloud, I don't know, Microsoft Cloud, one, you store it up in the cloud somewhere. If that server gets hacked and that PII is compromised, whose fault is it? Yours, not Microsoft, not Amazon, not Google. They're not going to take care of you. It's your fault. So when you start getting sued, and they, you will get sued, they're going to sue you for breach of contract. They're going to say to you effectively, hey, Ray, your website, peppershockmedia.com, has a privacy policy. That privacy policy says we will protect your PII. You didn't, Ray. So I'm going to sue you for breach of contract. And guess what? They'll win. Because you didn't use best efforts to protect their data, and it was compromised and lost. So the biggest problem 
that I'm seeing, number one, is people don't know what their privacy policies say. And they offer way too much in their privacy policies. They just do. And there's no legal reason to do it. None at all. And the second thing I'm finding, Ray, is that when they do get sued for a data breach, mm-hmm. invariably they don't have the right kind of cyber liability insurance. So oh. to answer your question, the two main things I'm advising clients to do in the, in the privacy space are, one, review your privacy policy and don't promise too much. And number two, make sure that you have good cyber liability insurance. And then the third thing, almost as a footnote, but the third thing is just make sure you don't have to be either what's called CCPA or GDPR compliant. CCPA stands for California Consumer Privacy Act, and GDPR stands for General Data Protection Regulation. That's promulgated by the EU. So if you have any business with California or any business with the EU, your privacy policy and your website and your privacy practices probably have to be either or both CCPA or GDPR compliant. So, but, but that's, down, that's downstream. First, read mm-hmm. your privacy policy and make sure you don't offer too much. Check your cyber liability insurance and then go back and see if you have to be CCPA compliant or GDPR compliant. If you do those things, you'll, you'll have done a lot, Ray, to be proactive and manage your exposures to a, to a privacy problem. Well, and you're, you're bringing up the rules that we have to follow with uh, email. It seems like there's always a different take on how you're supposed to be able to double opt-in, opt-in, not opt-in, opt-out, you know, and how people are allowed to use email lists these days. How have you seen anything in that realm with email and the spam laws and, and everything there? How do you think it's working out with the new laws? Well, fairly new laws. I mean, I still get emails every once in a while to say that, confirm whether you want to receive this email or not. Have you seen uh, any kind of more changes or even things coming down the pike that's going to happen with email? Yes, and it's because of privacy. Before all this privacy stuff, the main law relating to email was, of course, called the CAN-SPAM Act. And that's a federal law that says, essentially, you may send unsolicited commercial email. You may spam. You may send spam is what the law said, but you have to do it correctly. And the rules were not that hard. To comply with the Can-Spam Act was not hard. You, you didn't necessarily need to include an opt-out link, but there were some rules. There were some rules they had to follow. And if you did them all right, you could send as much spam as you wanted to. That's why there's so much spam still today, because people comply with the Can-Spam Act, and it's not illegal to send spam in the United States today. But the intersection of privacy has affected that a little bit. So let's assume, for example, that you go to a website and you give them your email address. Well, now that's PII, personally identifiable information. And so they may not sell it without your permission. They may not create an email list and sell it without your express affirmative consent. So it has changed what marketers can do with email lists. So if one of your listeners perhaps uses website traffic to create an email list that they either use to market or that they sell that email list downstream to an aggregator who compiles data, email data, well, now that may be illegal, not because of the Can-Spam Act, but because of privacy law. So we have to be very, very careful what we do with that email data because it is PII, personally identifiable information. Now, and then the person who purchases the list, are they held liable or is the person who created the list liable for reselling the information or is the person you know, downstream, are they the ones liable for getting that information and then using it? Well, it, the, the real answer is everybody will get sued because <laughs> it's not so much who's liable, it's are you going to get caught 
Are you going to get sued? And can you afford to defend yourself? That's really the answer. So let's go through that hypothetical. So one of your clients who is marketing assembles email data from website visitors. Let's assume their privacy policy specifically says that. It says, we will collect your email information as your part of your experience on this website. You also must disclose what you're going to do with that information, and you must disclose that you're going to sell it. You have to in your privacy policy. If you don't, that's illegal. You're, you're going to get caught and fined. Okay, so let's assume you've done all that. You've disclosed you're collecting email information. You've disclosed you're going to sell it. You've disclosed all of this to everybody that visits your website. Great. Then you go ahead, you assemble a list of 5,000 email addresses from website visitors, and you sell it to an aggregator upstream from you. Somebody who visits your website six months from now starts getting spam or porn or whatever they're going to get, right, from that email address. Well, you're going to get sued, and the aggregator is going to get sued. Now, whether or not you can afford to defend yourself is all dependent on what kind of insurance you have and what kind of a bankroll you have. But you're going to get caught, and you're going to get sued. And, and frankly, that is the real practical answer, right? It's not whether you're liable. It's whether you're going to get caught and sued and whether you can afford to defend yourself. And on those facts, that email aggregation hypothetical we just spun, everybody's going to get sued. Everybody's uh -huh, going to get geez. sued. So the, the proper way then to do it would be to collect the email, give them permission, your get permission. And then what I understand is that if you do have emails, the, the best way to do it is to send them a message to say, would you like to opt into this? Would you confirm that we could send you more information? And that's okay to do, correct? As a, as a first time, if you have an email, the, the first thing you wanna do is just get them to opt in and get their permission the first time you send something to them, right? That's right. So if, if you want to send an unsolicited commercial email, you may. The Can Spam Act says that you may. However, you're right, Ray. The first time you send that email, I would invite everyone to include in that email a, an affirmative, active, working, functional link that says, if you choose to not receive any additional emails, please click here to opt out. And then, and then more importantly, make sure the link works, the opt-out link works, and make sure you record and preserve. Does it have to be opt-out preserve... or opt-in? That's my question. Does it need to be an opt-out or opt-in? It does not need to be an affirmative opt-in. What you oh. need to do is give them a chance to opt-out. Okay. Okay. That was my question so the, because yeah. people rarely want to opt-in to anything, but they'll opt-out <laughs> if they don't want it, right? So that's, that's right. good to know so, because it kind of flips it, right? The, the idea of it, you know, opt, opting in. Yeah. I, I would include a link that says, if you no longer wish to receive unsolicited commercial email from this sender, click here to opt out. But that, has to, that, ha that solves a lot of your problems. That solves a lot of your problems. Because if they opt out, number one, don't send them any more emails. And number two, you know, for, you know, right at that point, you have to remove them from any list that you might sell, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a really good tool to solve problems. It doesn't mean you're not going to get sued, but it does create a really good defense if you do get sued. Because you can show, look, they opted out, and we removed them from our server. We removed them from our email list. We didn't sell their name anywhere. So I don't know how that guy got it, but it wasn't for me, says, says mm -hmm. the marketer. See what I mean? Right. It yeah. cause, because you opt, because the plaintiff recipient of the email opted out at your level. And you, you, you did that. You removed them from the mm -hmm. system. That's a good way to do it. Okay. Well, that's always a question that, you know, because there's so many different ways that you can do email campaigns and you want to make sure you're doing it right. And, you know, same thing with us. We always want to make sure that people opt into our stuff and not, you know, receive anything that they don't want. We don't want them to get things they don't want. Right. Right. And so I, I think if I was going to do an email campaign, I would number one, make sure that my privacy policy is very clear 
about what I'm doing with that email address, number one. Number two, I'd make sure that my emails were compliant with the Can Spam Act. Number three, I'd make sure that my email contained an, uh, an active working opt-out link. And four, I'd make sure that that link actually had effect, that if they click on an opt-out link, that you really do opt them out from further contact. If you do those four things, I think that you've got a pretty safe defense in terms of an email marketing campaign. Oh, good. So the last thing I'd like to talk about is uh, you have this novel that you've debuted. Tell us about what you have done. Well, gosh, Ray, so nice of you to mention that. It really hasn't just debuted. It was actually published back in 2012. Ah. It's called The, the Cure. And it's funny how these things work out. It was written in 2012, but what it's about, okay, wait for it. Wait for it, as the kids say these <laughs> days, right? Wait for it. Wait for it's it. about a guy. It's about a guy who has immunity to a global pandemic. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So there is a, oh there is a global, I know, there's a global viral pandemic ravaging the Earth's population. This guy, my protagonist, his name is Jason Kramer, he is immune. He's immune to the virus. So he has those antibodies. He has the antibodies, and nobody else does, right? Nobody else is immune to it. It's kind of like right now with, with COVID-19. We don't know for sure if anybody has antibodies. They're struggling to come up with an antibody test. But we don't know if anybody actually has the antibodies. Well, my guy, Jason, has the antibodies to this viral pandemic. And he's the only one. So he has, he has natural inherent immunity. And you can extract that immunity from his blood and create a vaccine for this global pandemic, right? So the plot concerns, it's sort of a, it's sort of a treatise on the pharmaceutical industry, how they, would, they don't want people to have access to the cure, hence the name of the book, The Cure. Mm -hmm. They don't want people to have access to the cure. They would rather have them continue to buy ineffective pharmaceutical preparations because that, that makes them rich, right? So if, uh -huh. if Pfizer knew, if Pfizer knew that there was a cure for COVID-19, right, a, mm -hmm. a, a vaccine, but there was only one source and they didn't have access to it, they'd be pissed off, right? And they would mm -hmm. want people keep, to keep buying their, their formula for COVID-19 treatment as opposed to the real cure. So there in a not very good nutshell is the plot summary. It's about a guy that has blood that can give you, uh, prevent you from catching a global pandemic that's going around. So anyway, call <laughs> the cure. This would, <laughs> this would actually be something well, it's, that it's really does Well, it's pretty weird. I mean, it's pretty weird. So it's out on Amazon. It's, my it's under my name is spelled B-R-A-D-L-E-E -E with two E's at the end. So if you want to go out to, to Amazon and look for it, it's Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-E, -E, Fraser, F-R-A-Z-E-R. -E the name of the book is The Cure. And, and I wrote 12 years ago, well, no, eight years ago, I wrote this little synopsis that you have to write to put it on Amazon, right? And it's weird. I go back and I read it now, and it's like, it's like I knew what was going to happen in 2020. It's really kind <laughs> oh, of striking. Wow. So, well, it's sometimes it's better to be lucky than smart, Ray, and I think that's the case here. But anyway, that's what it's about. And uh, so it's getting a bit of a resurgence. I had a bit of a lull in sales there for a while, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's picking up again because people seem to be interested in, um, in this little bit of fiction that I wrote. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> well, that is really cool. I didn't realize or know that you were an author. So, so that's exciting to, to uncover and learn about you <laughs> and that it's on well, Amazon. <laughs> Thank you, Ray. That's it is. Cool. It's on. It's. It has a number of different outlets, but principally, people can find it on Amazon. It's also available. I think Barnes and Noble. You can still download it. It's on Google Books. There's. A, if you if you just yeah. Google Bradley Fraser the Cure, you'll find it. It's available on two or three different outlets as well. So there you go. So so Brad, any other uh, any other books coming up that uh, you're uh, ha you have a hankering to write? <laughs> 
Well, Ray, you know, I've written 30,000 words of a sequel to The Cure. Uh But will I ever finish it? I don't know. You know, we're all busy, Ray. It took me a long time to write 85,000 words, 90,000 words for that first novel. Have Have you written a novel? I'm in the process right now of writing a book um, and working with Stacey Ennis on it. And she is my kind of coach, if you will. And it's, it does, it's definitely a process that is for sure. <laughs> you know, to write 90,000 words, which is kind of the entry level for a novel, 85, 80, between 80 and 90,000 words for a novel, as you know. It, you know, it's a, it takes a long time. <laughs> and then, and yeah. well, and then, and if, if I may, Ray, I'd have to be a little bit self-promoting, I guess. I, I was actually fortunate enough to find a publisher. So I didn't have to self-publish. I actually found a publisher and that made it even harder because I was determined to do, use traditional publishing and not self-publish. So mm-hmm. that's why I think it took me so long, but you know, it paid off. I found a publisher and the book was published Good. and you know, off we go. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, fantastic. Now people will uh, we'll put the link in the show notes so that people can can download your book. That's exciting. Oh, that would be that would be nice, Ray. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I want to give you that, a, yeah. I want to give you I want to give you a quick props and nod for all of your help with the marketing community here, Ray. You do a great job. Everybody knows that. Everybody, all my clients know that if you have a marketing question or a problem, you go to Pepper Shock and you talk to Ray Allen. I mean, you've just you've got Aww. the rep in town for being the marketing the marketing person. So, you know, I want to give a shout out to you as well because you guys you do a great job supporting local businesses with your marketing efforts, Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you for that for sure. We're definitely happy to help any way we can, and these podcasts are fun. I get to you know talk to people like you and and learn. I get to learn just as much as everybody else does. In, in our marketing journeys together, for sure. And so, so Brad, how, how would people um, get in touch with you if they have any type of trademark or copyright questions or internet? You know, you said you do like a, a, a free consultation, but if they need to hire you, how do they get in touch with you, Brad? Ray, you know, everybody does get a, at least a one-hour free initial consultation, and I just do that to support local businesses, artists, authors, musicians, whatever you have, startup, whatever you happen to be, everybody gets a free initial consultation of at least an hour. So I hope your listeners will reach out with their, you know, intellectual property, information technology, internet privacy type questions. Happy to advise them. So a couple of different ways, uh, you know, I do have a fairly robust internet presence. And so the you could actually Google trademark and copyright lawyer that should let you find me, or you can look for just Google Brad Fraser or Bradley Fraser, and that should find you. Uh, that should permit you to find me on Google. But again, my um, maybe I, can, I suppose maybe one way, shorthand way, just to give your listeners my phone number. I'm happy to do that. So if they want to jot this down, Ray, or if you want to put it into the information on the podcast, they can reach me directly on 208-388-4875. 208-388-4875. That's probably easier, frankly, and faster than trying to give an email address. So 208-388-4875 for them to reach me. Ray, and I'm happy to, to, to visit with them and offer that free initial consultation. And if they mentioned that they were a listener of this podcast, yes. uh, what I can give them a free extra half hour. How does that sound? Oh, that's very generous <laughs> of you. Thank you for that. Sure. I'm sure My that's, that'll be well received. Well, thank you so much for joining me and taking um, a moment out of your busy day. And uh, I assume working from home during this COVID uh, quarantine, right? 
Are you working from yes, home, Yes. Uh, yes. Well, <laughs> as, uh, as the governor's the governor's the governor's stay-at-home order actually said that lawyers are essential. Yay! Uh-huh. So I have my I actually have travel documents that I carry with me. I have travel documents inside my jacket uh-huh. pocket in case I get pulled over, and so I do go into the office uh, periodically just to uh, sign letters and and to handle physical papers. But I am working from home as much right. as I can. Yes. Yes, as much as we can. Well, we certainly yep. appreciate you and the essential workers like you and all of the other people out there that are still keeping this country going. So thank you for, for what you do. Well, and, and, uh, and thank you, Ray, for what you do. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Uh, I, you're providing a great service here, and I wish you luck, you and your listeners, on their marketing journey. Excellent. Thank you for watching and listening. And uh, now we'll um, get you our show notes out there for everyone to see and and uh, hope you have a happy and safe time working from home and only occasionally going to the office. <laughs> Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ray. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Find more online at peppershock.com. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.